I'll play back the levels the way you set them. Say it on me. Hey, pussy, are you still there? Lee. I back. People are always saying about the talk, and I talk, and I talk, and I talk, but guess who can walk? I back it up. I back it up. That means it's time to roll, baby. You got nothing going on between your ears, buddy. Hey, John, do you think I'm just going to sit there and let you kill me, John? I mean, really. I think I could beat every girl in my division with one hand. That guy's such a dick. I mean, you show your true colors after a fight. That fucking guy comes up to me. You know who you are, huh? I don't have much left to say other than you have seen nothing yet. <laughs> Hope to God you come ready. Hi, Michael Morgan, and welcome to this week's episode of the Wokecast. Joining me from the land of the free and the home of the brave, it's G. How you doing? Yes, I'm in a great mood. We have a new president, so I feel so happy. You know, from here, the optics in terms of um, what we're observing from our side of the pond, it looks as though a nation is actually elated. But saying that, Trump got more votes this time than he did the last time. Oh, he did. But it was also like everybody came out to vote. So, yeah, he got more votes. But Joe Biden got the most votes like in in history, meaning to me that says that America wanted change from this regime. So and then plus, I'm not concerned with how many votes he got. I'm still in the moment. I know we still have a problem because a lot of people believe in his rhetoric, which is scary because his rhetoric is basically, you know, enthralled in white supremacy. But. Let's deal with that later. We cut the the top of that, you know, the, the 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 snake's head off. We haven't killed the message, but at least we started with their leader, and he should be making his way out. Even if he sues and whatnot, he he's going to have to get out at some point. He officially has lost. Mm. And th- and that's the thing. I mean, you talk about let's deal with you know the, the fallout later. But it looks mm-hmm. as though, just from the initial kind of wrong and strong attitude, just from the initial, look, we're going to have to wait and we're going to have to count and recount these votes, it looks as though he's spreading this narrative, this rhetoric, which, you know, got people literally up in arms. I mean, I, you know, it was worrying to see people taking to the streets with guns and, you know, they didn't weren't really giving much um, play or much um, promotion to the militias, but... In the run-up, they were talking about militias. So it makes me feel as though the damage in terms of the seeds that have been sown have actually, you know, well, I suppose yet to be realised in the short term just before, obviously, was it January the 20th that that the inauguration usually happens? Now, is that a worry for you? Because when you think about it, you've kind of like got terrorists in waiting, um, I worry for people that live, for people of color that live in those areas. I am in New York. I'm in Brooklyn. There is nobody here that would dare even try to have some pro-Trump type of parade, let alone yeah. a militia with the AR-15. I'm in a liberal state. I'm in a liberal city, so I don't deal with that. But my thoughts and prayers for real go out to anybody that is in a red state, meaning, you know, like a pro-Trump state with mm. where guns are easily available. Because I do think the people that call themselves patriots are domestic terrorism, and they're ready at any moment to come out here and cause some problems. Yeah. So, yeah. So I do think at some point, when you know the seat changes and Biden takes his place, there will be some type of violence from his supporters, unfortunately. Wow. Yeah. So all those buildings, particularly in New York, I saw this um, in the last few days in the run up to the election. Have they taken those boards down or are they still boarded up? No, they're still boarded up. I was wow. just in, yeah, I was just in the city earlier and some of the places where I get coffee and like to eat are just boarded up in fear of like, you know, riots and whatnot. And 
I don't think New York is going to see too many unless, I don't know. I think we're, I think we're fine. I think even if Trump tries to sue everybody and, and hold this up, eventually he's going to be told that he has to leave. You can recount the votes all you like. It's really not going to change the fact that he lost. So, you know, there's going to be some drama, but I am confident that at some point he's either going to be taken out of there or he's going to walk out of there. Wow. And have I got this right? The mayor of New York is Giuliani, right? No, that's the former mayor of New York. That is the controversial mayor of New York that um, instilled the stop and frisk right. um, policy with NYPD, which um, resulted in like the killing uh, and murders and police brutality of a mm. lot of African-Americans because of that aggressive approach. So he's our former mayor, but now he's a crackpot lawyer for Trump. Yeah. Right. So we've been seeing a lot of um, promotion, a lot of talk from him. And the worrying thing is he's, again, kind of like promoting the Trump line. And it, it's worrying because he's got quite a loud voice and he's got quite an audience. How dangerous do you think he is? Um, I think he's pretty dangerous alongside of Trump, and he does have clout and a big-ass mouth, but I think once we make this transition into a different presidency, we're going to get a different administration, we're going to get different people in the cabinet, and I think MAGA will still be a problem because it's a mindset, you know, and we haven't destroyed that mindset, we haven't destroyed the, the message, but I do think we're about to transition into some form of healing, or at least mm. a president that's going to try to unite us, and we desperately need that right now, so I'm being hella optimistic, I know we have a lot of problems, I know Joe Biden also too, can. he has some problematic policies and views that I don't agree with, but at right now, at the moment, I am just glad that at some point, Trump will be removed or he will leave that White House. And that's a start. So the fact that um, come January the 20th, we're going to have a vice president of color and, and in particular a woman. Does that like yeah. have any resonance with you? Does that mean anything to you or is that just like rhetoric? Um, I, I um, It's weird. I struggle with it because I went to Howard University. So did she. Mm. Her, her mother's Jamaican. I'm, you know, Haitian. So it's like and then she's a black woman. So am I. So I, I really love that she is the vice president and whatnot. But I'm kind of I really wish Stacey Abrams, the um, the, the political activist um, in, in Georgia, could have gotten that seat. But I'm not going to complain. I'm really happy there is a woman of color making history and is the vice president. So I'm not going to hate because my preference is Stacey Abrams, but I'm I'm incredibly happy. And like I said, Mike, I think we're going to head in a direction of like healing. Let's all hug each other. Let's forget left yeah. and right. I think that administration is going to try to unite us. And I we desperately need that. So just one final thing. The, the thing that yeah. kind of really intrigues me the most about this whole setup, you've got Joe Biden and Kamala Harris as uh-huh. the vice president. Just from the looks of things, from optics, rein me in if you think I'm being disrespectful, but it doesn't look as though Joe Biden is actually going to complete an entire term, let, al- term, let alone, <laughs> um, you know, eight years. Right. Am I right in thinking that she's kind of, I suppose the unspoken thing that I'm seeing here in terms of optics, she's been primed to take over his role midterm. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. Um, I think she's somebody that's willing, ready, and able to take over that position. That's why mm. I am really happy that 
a part of me is happy she has the seat because she's competent. We've we've been dealing a lot with incompetent leadership when it comes to the Trump administration. So I feel like if Joe goes down, unfortunately, due to his age or whatever reason, the person that will take his place or run for re-election, I'm completely comfortable with already. And they haven't even begun yet. So I'm happy she's there in case Joe goes down. But he is a little too old. <laughs> you know, that was one of my gripes when he was running. And, you know, Trump is also saying he wants to run in 2024. And it's pretty interesting how these men forget that they're aging or like, what is your mind going to be? You're old Trump and you eat McDonald's. Like, are you really going to be fit enough to run in, in four years? And, you know, it's just interesting how these old ass politicians want to just remain in our government. It's annoying. And, and, and that's just it. For me, um, I know I said this would be the final thing, but for me, I'm just worried that a lot of people are putting a lot of store by Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. But what I've seen as a consistent theme from president to president is that it does appear to be a kind of like rearranging of of the deck chairs. Nothing significant in terms of like major policy changes. Okay, you had Obamacare, but... For all the people, for all the people being benefited um, by um, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, I mean, what do you think they're going to do to benefit all of the people? Oh, my God. You're asking the wrong person because <laughs> because even though I voted for Joe Biden and Kamala mm. Harris, I, I mm. didn't really care for their platform. I don't care for Kamala's history as far as um, when she was an, an attorney in California. You know, I have some gripes with her history and what she did with people of color and, you know, locking them up for truancy, which really yeah. hurt the, the African-American community in, the, in that state and whatnot. And I'm still a little bit upset over that. However, I had to choose between the lesser of two evils. So I picked Joe Biden and Kamala, and I'm just, honestly, for me, it's very simple. I want them to unify, to try to unify the country. I don't want, I want less bipartisanship. Right. I'm tired of left and right, moderate, libertarian. I just want everyone to kind of try to be on the same page. And I, and, and I want them to find the orphan kids from Mexico. And then after that, I want something done for COVID. We got to cut down on these numbers. There's no reason why the United States, a powerful country as ours, is winning the COVID Olympics. So Mm, mm. we need to unify. We need to get those Mexican kids, their parents back. And we need help bringing the numbers down for COVID. That's what I'm looking forward to. But we'll see what happens. Baby steps, Mike. Yeah, like I just I'm still really happy and excited that he won. So it's just like I'm not leaving that. I'm not leaving that um, that moment or that mindset yet. There'll be mm. plenty to complain about us after he gets inaugurated and whatnot. There's plenty of work, and Joe is old, but I'm in a good mood because he won, and I want to stay that way, you know? I hear you. I hear yeah. you. I mean, um, seeing that old, racist, bigoted, oh. um, you know, sexist, I mean, you name it, he's all Everything. the ists. Seeing Donald Trump actually suffer that humiliating, and I think it yeah. was humiliating because he bigged himself up to such a state, to such such a standard, and um, to see him like you know humiliated in the way that he he was, I, I you know have got nothing but applause for the American people who I feel have done the right thing. And I also but, feel like him mm. step him losing this election it brought us together, whether people want to admit it or not when he won i went out to the grocery store i walked around 
in Brooklyn in a place where people are pretty tough and we keep to ourselves, everybody here was talking, thanking God and just yeah. so elated. Music was turned on. Old church ladies were in the street with their walkers getting some air and talking. About, like, we were just so happy. I went and got some uh, Dominican food. The lady serving me my food was like, fuck Trump. She came and speak English and she's making my food. It was just, <laughs> it brought us together, man. It's nice. So I hope that, um, Biden and them take that energy and keep rolling with it. Well, let's hope so. Yeah. Speaking of energy, um, I hope you've got lots of energy because we've obviously got UFC Fight Night Santos versus Teixeira to talk about. Mm-hmm. But before we even get there, I just wanted to just quickly touch on Bellator 251, which saw Melvin Manhoff take on Corey Anderson. Oh, now, yeah. that was kind of like trumpeted and trumpeted quite loudly, this matchup. And from where I sat, in terms of optics, you could see what was actually going on here. Melvin Manhoff, I mean, with the greatest of respect, is way past his best. And it kind of like showed in the way that he was quickly dispensed by Corey Anderson. The fact that, you know, um, Corey Anderson respected his um, striking game was obviously apparent. I love the way that he was quickly taken down. And I love the way that he delivered what he was basically primed to deliver. And that was, you know, a quick dispatch of Melvin Manhoof. I mean, what did you think of that? I know it was short, I know it was sweet, but what did you what did you make of um Corey Anderson's first foray into Bellator? Um, it was exactly what I expected. I think Melvin, even though his striking prowess is not to be fucked with no matter what his age is, that is a heavy hitting man that has been fighting for so long. So his his technique is slamming, he's 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 strong. But he is past his prime, and he's got some wear and tear. So when I saw someone like Corey, who's just coming out of the UFC, and not mm. just coming out of the UFC, he's kind of top of the division. You know, he's, he was kind of, you know, elite facing, you know, going up the chain. And yeah. he suddenly leaves the UFC and goes, and his first fight is with Melvin. Oh, I picked him right away. And what I saw is exactly what unfolded. Corey knew to use his wrestling. Melvin's takedown defense and grappling is not really his bread and butter. You know, he knows enough to hang in Bellator, but it's not his expertise. So, of course, someone like Corey exploited that, took mm. him down, and the ground and pound was vicious and controlled. And I didn't like to see my man Melvin beat up, but it's the fight game, and I totally expected this. The, and Corey did a really good job in his de- Bellator be- debut. It's a strong debut. So do you think, like, he's fast-tracked now to a title fight? Considering where he left and considering the rankings that he's left behind, I know we always say rankings, schmankings, but right. <laughs> do you think that he should be fast-tracked or are we going to bring him on slowly in terms of what we do next with um, Corey Anderson? I say, what's the rush? Bring him slowly. What is the rush? You know? Um, I and, I th- and I think Bellator does that except for like everyone except Aaron Pico for some reason. Well, now they've slowed him down, but... I think Bellator will, will hold his hand, and he deserves that. Let him develop and become a monster and hopefully um, contend for the belt. But why rush it? Well, I, I suppose the thing that's kind of like making me feel as though, look, he showed levels, obviously, mm-hmm. but that's long been the talk about Bellator. The fact that you're going into the B League is what you know yeah. a, a lot of people have actually you know commented on. But the fact is... He, in terms of caliber, is way up there. And in terms of levels, are we going to soft soap him or are we going to test him? 
are we going to give him, you know, some something like uh, or someone like Phil Davis, or you know, we're going to give him someone more mid tier, like I don't know, Liam McGeary. What do you think? Right. I say mid tier. You know me, Mike. I'm like a nurturing <laughs> mother. You, I will never probably admit that someone needs to be rushed. Like, mm. I still have trauma from Darren Till. You know, like, they rushed Darren Till, so now every time he fights an elite fighter, he's, it's a chess match. You know, and I think it, it's, he fights like that because he was not developed properly, and I hate yeah. to see that. I hate to see that because you're not developing them and, and feeding into that fighter potential that they have. You know, and you're not building their confidence. And I don't find Bellator an, an organization to do that. So I have a feeling they give him a mid-tier opponent. And mm. they probably want to use his brand name. When you come from the UFC and you were kind of like top five, top, you know, seven, they kind of try to like, you know, um, not profit, but benefit from that. So why not mm. drop his name a few more times and let him showcase his ground and pound? I could, I could see Scott doing that. I hear you. Yeah. Well, UFC Fight Night Santos versus Teixeira took place over the weekend. And um, mm-hmm. as usual, you're going to take two. I'm going to take two. I'm not being rude, but I'm going to start first only because what I wanted to start with was Gustavo Lopez versus Anthony Burchek. And they were the first um, clash on the actual card. Now, for me, seeing two longtime friends go at it and with such gusto I have to say I was really impressed yeah, I mean you know yourself cool. look yeah. fighting someone from your gym fighting someone who you've actually trained with is no mean feat I mean not only are they longtime friends but they've also trained together but Lopez actually for me proved that you know he was all about the pressure and he was all about the pressure early and that deep rear naked choke that ended round Beautiful. one man yeah. <laughs> that was frightening absolutely yeah. frightening what did you reckon i like this fight and from the get-go they started going at it and i was like all right that's how you start a prelim um but i do think of course you know lopez he dominated his opponent and of mm. course he dropped him in the first round too with a beautiful left hook that left burchak kind of wobbly I, I didn't i didn't i don't think i ever saw him really recover he tried nah. but that that left hook that got him early on is 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 the writings on the wall is the murder she wrote because after that you know, um, he was able to take advantage after that uh, hook. Take him. He goes down to the ground. They exchange, and then he grabs his back. And it was a beautiful rear naked choke, kind of violent too. Like uh, Anthony looked like he was uh, losing his breath kind of quickly and hit that tap. Yeah. But it, it was a it was a great way to start a prelim. Exciting, and um, yeah, and it was kind of special. Like they're homies and stuff, and they still went at it. I'm sure psychologically that is pretty tough. Mm. I thought of you with this one in particular, just based Uh off the fact of our um, last week's conversation about these gimmies, these fights, which are literally squash matches. Now, Mm -hmm. Gustavo Lopez was going in there 12 and 5, and uh, Anthony Burchak obviously going in there 16 and 7. But, you know, who came off the victor? It was Gustavo Lopez. But um, I've said enough. What actually, I know, you know what, 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 what really impressed me about this again in terms of prelims, um, Mm -hmm. all finishes. And again, off the back of our conversation last week, there were some, uh, in terms of matchups, I think they were actually geared towards the finish. But for me, there were some surprises in terms yeah. of who took home the victory, which you know made it a little bit more competitive this week for my money. But what actually um, impressed you on the on the uh, old? Um, prelims prelims well all of them really like you said shout out to the prelims what we saw last night is why i watched them they all had mm. finishes and they were just mm. fucking fun so um 
love the prelims. I'll start with Darren Elkins versus Louise Garrigora. Garrigori. And the reason why I bring this fight up is because a lot of people in the States, Mike, are familiar with Darren Elkins, even though he's not like a top tier fighter. Yeah. He is one of the toughest fighters in the UFC. And he is that guy that has that workman type of work ethic. And also he has the cardio to keep up with it. Okay. Mm -hmm. And Mike, a little research, he was four losses in the hole. So he also had that I can't lose my job type of <laughs> swag as well. So <laughs> he had that type of energy that he brought to the fight. So mm. he's a workhorse. His cardio is, is, is relentless, and that's what we saw in the fight. He stayed on this man like glue. And it was so annoying to fight because I know Louise probably just wanted to thump this dude so bad because he just yeah. he couldn't get Darren off of him. And when they did create space, if you notice, Louise's Muay Thai was sharp. There were some mm -hmm. uppercuts in there that he was landing that were so pretty. And he wobbled Darren a few times. But again, what I was telling you about the States and how we're familiar with Darren, he's a tough dude. You got to beat this man to death or choke him out. Like, it, you're just in for a fight. And unfortunately, that's what ha happened. Darren was able to get on his back. At first it was standing, then they go to the ground, and then beautiful rear naked um, choke. And Louise looks so disappointed because he probably thought to himself, I can beat this dude because Darren's hands are trash. Like his, his striking <laughs> is pretty bad. So mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure Louise wanted to exploit that, but he just couldn't. And But I don't know. I like Darren Elkin's work ethic. He's a simple guy. He's polite, and he gets the job done when need be. So I liked his performance. Yeah, I hear that. You know, yeah. just before we move on, I, I, I know that I said we're going to split it in terms of you're taking two, I'm taking two, but mm. honourable mention, I know I said all of the prelims were about to finish, but this finish in particular was pretty horrific. Ew. Now, Max Griffin um, took home the victory and nearly took home Remy's... Uh, Brahim, Brahim, yeah. <laughs> Brahim Arsh. Um, his, his ear as well. I mean, did you see that? I mean, his ear was literally hanging off. That elbow literally sli almost sliced it off. Like, um, you know when you go to like a, a Brazilian grill uh -huh. and they bring round... <laughs> <laughs> it yeah, was like so that. Yeah, and then they slice off a piece of meat. That is so yeah. gross because now I don't know if I'm going to go to a Brazilian eatery from now on because <laughs> you just kind of ruined that for me because you're right. It is like a slice of somebody's ear. They, they mm. chop on your plate. Um, it was horrendous, but this is why we watch the sport. Is it horrendous? Sure, but yeah. that's, that's, we're into the blood sport. You know, we talked about it last week. Some of us like this violence. And Max Griffin, before the slicing his ear, was just thumping this young man up. The footwork was nice. It was just a really good fight for him that he needed, you know. And uh, I do believe he lost his last fight, so he needed this win. But I, what I think was so funny about this fight is that Max Griffin starts mm. screaming about the ear if you... <laughs> If you listen, <laughs> he was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And, of course, with no fans, we're privy to that. So yeah. shout out to Max for giving us a heads up as the <laughs> ear was flipping around. And um, shout out also to, um, how do you say his last name again? I'm he, pronouncing it Brahimaj. 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 Shout out to Shout out to Brahimaj because he's tough. He didn't want to give up and his face mm. was lumped up and his ear was coming off and he was still down to fight. But no, honey, let's just shut that down and give Max the win and save your ear. So. <laughs> <laughs> good fight, though. Good fight when, for Max. When, when, when Max was shouting, oh, my God, oh, my God. Could he could actually could Remy's uh, hear, do you think? Right. Like, <laughs> did he hear that or was he like, let me pick up my ear first? What's he saying? Yeah. Right. Wow. Oh, my God. What a fight.
But moving on, Alexander Romanov and um, Marcos Ooh. Ruggiero de Lima. Love that fight. I mean, from the gate, the power double straight from the oh, get-go. Oh, man, so athletic. From um, Alexander Romanov. Brilliant. And you talk about him being athletic. He moves. For a big boy, he moves really, really fast. And that's what, that's what like, when people say Greg Hardy's athletic, I think of dudes like Alexander Romanov. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, yeah. a heavyweight that can move. Even Tanner Bossler will get to his performance, but he can move. You know mm. what I mean? That, mm. when you're a big-ass heavyweight and you can move like this, <laughs> um, Juan Espinosa, I believe, from Spain moves, like, gracefully. He, he's another big-ass heavyweight weight that moves like a ballerina I yeah. think that's athleticism and then like when Alexander wins the fight he like flips his coaches and team like it's nothing <laughs> but it's really beautiful I'm like man I but like yeah, this guy you got you gotta respect him actually sticking to the formula that's the third mm-hmm. form forearm choke of yeah. his career now that looked gruesome I mean imagine that weight bearing down on you I mean, so much so that he, he slept him. He slept Rogero de Lima. And how tough is um, Marcos Rogero de Lima for not tapping or just kind of going yeah. with it? Like, yeah. I don't think it's it's a lot of t- like the few times I've done jujitsu, I tapped out not because I was losing my breath, but because a muscular forearm on my jugular is painful. <laughs> I, I didn't, I didn't care that I was losing my breath. I was like, get this fucking muscular this man's forearm off my neck. And I remember thinking that, like, that's painful. How is he going to sleep? Like, he's if, just if you if you remember if you remember, look at that whole scenario. There is no way that his brain actually comprehended what was going on. Yeah, he slept too quickly for that to be kind of like, oh, right, Amazing. better tap. Yeah. Better tap. He didn't and know what plus, was going on. Yeah. yeah, plus he made history as well. That's the first forearm choke. In, in UFC's the USC. history, yeah, yeah, but you know, Marcos, I like how he came out though. He came out straightforward. He was like, mm. "I have the better hands. I'm gonna knock this guy out." But I also like that Alexander responded well to that type of attack. He knows what yeah. he's good at. He hit the double leg, and he's like, "We're gonna take this to the ground," because mm. he was like, every time he came in. Alexander did have to eat a few punches to get in on him, and he was willing to sacrifice his chin to get in. But once he got in, that's it. The fight went to the ground. So I like that Alexander ate a few punches to come in. And I like that he used what he does best to win this fight. I'm good at grappling. Motherfucker, we're going to grapple. And that's what happened. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so from your side. Man, we got to talk about Trevin Giles versus uh, Bavon Lewis. Um, And again... Bavon, when I saw this fight, I picked Trevin Giles so quick, too. I was like, this is an easy pick. Why? Contender Series pup here. Not only mm. just a Contender Series pup. You know, a Contender Series pup that didn't win the show but had to do the developmental plan. Not to say he's a bad fighter, but I just thought to myself, Trevin Giles hits hard. This is someone that, like, has fought James Krause. Like, he's had some wars. He was about to fight Kevin Holland. He's, he has experience. This kid, I don't know. And that's what we saw, Mike. Immediately, all I noticed was pot shots from Bevin, no combinations, you know? He needed also to keep Trevin on the outside because he had a longer reach, but he didn't know how to use his reach, and he wasn't also kicking that lead leg, which I thought he would do more often. Instead, yeah. he kept trying to come in. Meanwhile, he shouldn't be coming in like that. He should be keeping Trevin out in range using his length, and instead he's coming in, and then he's getting hit with the harder shots when he comes in, and then when he comes in, it's pot shots. One jab, Mm, double mm. jab, nothing extraordinary. Meanwhile, Trevin Giles is landing the harder shots, the more significant shots. 
Then I noticed Trevin Guile kind of like picking his shots, faking and whatnot. And that's when I realized like he's really taking advantage of the speed advantage. And I think Trevin believes that he can knock this guy in, in, in due time. Like he's just waiting. And that's what we saw. I saw a barrage of punches. What was it? A left hook that started it. And then, you know, first of all, in the first round, he dropped him with a nice jab. That was also the, the writing on the wall. Like that was very telling. And then the next round. And then, you know, so forth, Trevin started to get inside and started landing harder shots. And finally, Bevin couldn't take it anymore. And he crumpled in the third round. I was not surprised. And, and, and let me tell you, like, some of these contender series dudes are a bit amateur. Like, I hate to say that about someone in the UFC, but some of this stuff is like a puppy mill, right? Mm-hmm. Like, some of these guys are not UFC material and some of them are really good. So... Be careful with your picks when it's a contender series, dude. And but I wish Bevan the best of luck. He'll be fine with more experience. And and Trevin definitely had a good night. It was a very good showing for him. Put it this way, you've sold that to me now because I tapped out at Alexander Romanov and uh, Marcos Vajero de Lima. I went straight to sleep because it started so late on these yeah. shores. We're we're pushing like up to um, one o'clock, two o'clock. By the time yeah. that the uh, main card is rocking around, I think it was even three o'clock. I just felt straight to sleep. But anyway, I woke mm-hmm. up and I started off with Claudia Gadea and I'm pronouncing her name Shawanan. I'm, I've heard it. The commentators were saying Jian. So oh, I'm, yeah, Yan Jian. Yeah, right. Yan Jian. I'm going to go okay. with that. God bless her. I hope we, one of us got it right. <laughs> well, she's definitely one to watch because whilst I personally think that Claudia Gadeo took the first because of the takedown, the pressure in the second and the third, it was all one-way traffic. Jan had complete dominance. And that elbow in the, um, well, I think it was a spinning back fix, sorry, mm-hmm. in the second, a thing of beauty, and the elbow yes. in the third, she was yeah. definitely showcasing um, striking prowess there. Definitely one oh, to yeah. watch. Oh, yeah. I, and then again, here's somebody that just knows her type of style of fighting and just yeah, like went really right active. into it. Yeah, she's an active fighter. She wins by decision a lot, but you can see why. She's content with people. She's content with keeping her opponent on the outside of her legs and kicks, you know? And she keeps perfect range. She's never in the same spot twice. She comes in, and then she also hits hard. Mm. So to me, it looked like she outworked Claudia and landed the harder shots and kept her on the outside. But, man, I have some questions for Claudia. Like, what is Claudia struggling with? Is she afraid to wrestle as much as she used to because she gasses? You, you remember when she used to fight Joanna? And yeah. we, we would always think she was going to win because she mm. was just impressing us with the takedowns and was relentless, and then her gas tank would just, there it goes, it would just simmer on down. And I feel like now that she's training with Mark Henry, they're trying to balance that. But I don't feel like we're seeing the best results. She's just like winning these close fights like with Angela Hill and now losing to someone years ago. I think she would have smoked. So I don't know where she goes from here. And then also I wonder what her issue is. Is, is, Why can't she wrestle hard like she used to? Or is she afraid of gassing out? Because quite frankly, her boxing is just okay. Like as you can see, someone that's more technical than her can outbox her. Yeah, and that's so, just the thing. Yeah. In terms of technicality, in terms of striking prowess, Jan was obviously the more proficient. And yes, that's why that's technical. why they always just struggle. Because yes. if you look, 
Obviously, she was able to control the first because she got the takedown. But once she couldn't uh-huh. get her way, you described her movement beautifully, keeping on the outside, basically just dominating on the feet, yeah. yep. keeping her at distance and essentially just busting her up by being yeah. really, really active. And the counters yeah. were coming thick and fast as well. Right. She made Claudia fight her fight. Yeah, literally. Mm-hmm. We, we used to call this um, at school. She manners her, literally taught us some manners. It was like, mm-hmm. no, <laughs> not today. <laughs> and, and then I can't help but to think that the Claudia that, the Claudia that fought for a title or the Claudia that had, was once in title contention would have beat her. Yeah. You know, so I don't understand what's going on. Perhaps we're seeing Claudia become a gatekeeper rather than thinking of her as elite anymore. She might be slipping into that category. Because how do you, I, I don't understand how you go to an elite trainer and yet the results are abysmal or you're just scraping by decision wins and now mm. losing to Yan Jian. Mm. So I, I question that move to that camp or something's going on. That's that's what I. How does she slip into gatekeeper status like this? She's dope, you know. So I don't know. Hmm. What well, did you make of um, Giga Chikazi and um, Chikazi, Sorry, and uh, Jamie Simmons. Um, I don't know anything about Jamie Simmons. I think he was a late replacement for um, Giga. Yeah. But, uh, who cares? Giga Giga landed that nice Giga kick. He's known for that left. That left kick, kick was brutal. Ooh, man! And it was loud. It was like a bat hit that man in the face. Mm. And the fight murder she wrote. The fight was over with that left kick. And that's an infamous kick. What is they called? The Giga, or something like that. Even from his glory days, he has a, <laughs> like a mean left kick. So yeah, I I wasn't really surprised. Um. I, I can't remember who he called out. Damn, I wish I could. I liked the call out, but I can't remember at the moment. Um, but I look forward to Giga fighting again, and he seems to like short replacements and whatnot. So sign him up, and let's keep this going. Yeah, I mean, that, that lovely left kick. And, you know, Gorgeous. a lot of people aren't talking about the body kick first to set yep. that up, and then, you yeah. know, the head kick finish. I love the hands-down style. That just shows, like, confidence, because... For me, there are there are only a few people who can pull that off. I think um, MVP pulls that off really well. But to, to see that confidence, absolutely blinding, absolutely amazing. Yeah, he he's just someone that shows up with fight with a with a legitimate fight background, and he fights like it. This ain't no amateur. This ain't somebody. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, this is this isn't someone that needs like rudimentary work at all. He is who he is, and he's only going to get better. You know, so. He's, he's definitely a force to reckon with. And then he's just fun to watch fight. He's, he's offense first. He's a striker. He's, he's going to yeah. be a lot of fun, win or lose. And someone's mm. going to test him. I know he's winning, but somebody's going to thump him up too. Like, he's beatable, I think. So I, I don't know why, but when I was watching um, Next Up is Rene um, Barcelos and uh, Khalid Taha, but I don't know why. I just kept thinking, um, in terms of style, in terms of... Um, prowess. I just kept seeing Barboza in there. I don't know why. I, I don't, I'm sure whether it was a stance. I'm not sure if it's like the relentless pace, but he reminds me a lot of Barboza. Is it just me? Which one does? Barcelos or Taha? Barcelos. Yeah, he does. Um, it's, it was the stance, too. It was weird. Like, I, I totally understand um, why you made that comparison. Yeah, there was some similarities, but I'll tell you this. This is the fight that I was missing from last week. This was the fight that's like, okay, these guys are stylistically evenly matched up. This is good. Mm. These are both very technical fighters, very offensively sound fighters. You know, like these are not amateurs, and they went at it, 
and it was a nice back and forth fight. And I do agree with the decision. I think Barcelos did a bit more than Tom. On the ground. Yes, you know, and I think he did a little bit more and he earned that win. But this was the competitiveness that I missed from last week. This is the fight that was like, I don't know who's going to win this. Ooh, look at that. Nice counter. Oh, one minute. You know, Taha's doing something dope. The next minute, Barcelo said, that's, that's what I was looking for. And mm-hmm. I got it with this bantamweight bout. And and again, Mike, fights like this make me want to see the loser and the winner fight again very quickly. I don't care that Taha lost. He put on a valiant effort. That shit was dope. I don't mind seeing them come back around quick, you know, again. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh-huh. famous last words because... Going into Andrei Arlovsky and Tanabosa, that isn't something I want to see in a hurry. No, I don't ever want to see that. shot my mouth, though, I have to say, because I had Andrei Arlovsky um, being stretched out there. I I, I (laughs) love the fact that, you know, there's a maturity in him that says, no, I'm not going to get into any wars here. I'm going to do just enough. I'm going to do what I need to do to actually get through this. I'm not putting my head through any more trauma. I, I totally agree with that type of style. But as... A fan that used to remember the Andre Olowski that was just like a nightmare yeah. coming. I miss that guy. But I have to understand that this man has been fighting forever. He's mm. a veteran and he fights smarter now. And that killer instinct that I miss, I just don't think Andre is at a point in his career where he's going to take any more risk. So he w- he fights and he wins intelligently now. And as far as Tanner, I think we just fell in love with his last few fights, with his speed and how ferocious he is. But he's got mm. some work to do. He, he was out of range. He was timid. And he could not reach Andre. And when he did, he didn't really land any hard or significant shots. It was Andre that, like, at the end of the first round, he clobbered him at the end of the round. Like, we remember those shots, but nothing really Tanner did. And to me, that just screams, he needs more development. This jump was too much for him. Is it? Or I think so, yeah. What I was going to say is, do you feel as though a lot of these fighters, they, they talk about this after the fact, but, you know, Andre Olofsky, he's a legend. Andre Olofsky, you know, people, when they think of him, they think of the good times, they think of the great times, and maybe, you know, Tanaboza going into there, that's what was actually going through his mind, and that's probably causing him a little bit of anxiety. Yeah, I mean, that can be a factor. We've seen it before. I mean, you thought Uriah Hall fanboyed for Anderson Silva. Yeah, 100%. I even think, I think Israel did, but his way of fanboying was not destroying him and having mm. a fun fight with him. That is also a form of fanboying. Like, I'm not going to knock out this legend. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Even though yeah. I know I can beat him, that's fanboying. I believe Daniel Cormier did the same. So when he fought Anderson, like, yes, he cleaned the floor with him, but he did not hurt him. Fanboying. Mm. And yeah, there mm. could be some truth to this. Maybe Tanner was like, holy shit, I'm fighting a legend, somebody that I used to watch <laughs> back in the day. Or maybe Tanner's just not ready for somebody as savvy as Andre. That's what I'm leaning towards. He didn't seem he didn't seem like timid, like fanboy timid. To me it looked timid like I don't know how to get inside with this motherfucker. You know what I mean? Like a technical issue. Mm. I, you know, I saw more technical issues to me that led me to think he needs to be developed. Perhaps this jump to Andre was too much. Perhaps he still needs to fight people, you know, fighters that are just a bit lower in the rankings and don't have that much you know, experience. And plus, Tanner's exciting. Give him give him some fights where he can showcase that speed and whatnot and develop. That's the word of the episode. Let him develop before we give him some vet that knows how to win points and fight all smart and shit, you know? <laughs> I hear Wait, that. Wait, question for you. Question for mm. you. Even, even though Andre 
he won last night. What do you think about him retiring? I could go for it. Um, put it this way, that the constant theme that I always keep coming back to, that I would never urge or um, yeah, kind too. of like, you know, wave the flag for somebody to, or the white flag for somebody to call it quits. If he did call it quits, I wouldn't be mad. Yeah, same. I'm, yeah, no, I'm the same way. Like, you already know when I'm asking that question, mm. it's kind of mm. like, well, you know, as politely as possible. Because you can't tell them when to retire. It's their life, finances, family, and their brain. And you never know yeah. what's going on behind all of those closed doors. Mm. So I try not to talk too much shit. But I'm like you. If he was to retire, I wouldn't mind. That that killer instinct is gone. Yeah. And I'm sure I'm he's not- pretty expensive, too. I'm sure Dana is looking for a reason to kind of, you ready to go to the Hall of Fame, young man? <laughs> <laughs> and not only that, um, I suppose this is a, a theme that was kind of like prevalent in um, the Tiago Santos versus Glover Teixeira um, clash. But for me, you have to be able to gut it out, go to the war and stand toe to toe with a person, not only just to offer in terms of tool sets, something different, something that you can draw um, on as well. But it strikes fear in your opponent. If people looking on that um, Arlovsky and Bosa fight, mm-hmm. um, game planning for their next fight. All they have to do is just pressure Arlovsky and it's over because he's not going to stand there. He's not going to gut it out with you. He's not yeah. going to go into the deep waters with you. He's already yeah. said, no, those days are over. Yeah, and he and, and he and he's at Jackson where they love pl- plans like that. They love like strategic and um, less damage and winning by decisions. You know, like yeah. that, that. that's a good camp to kind of fight like that you know you're gonna have good coaches that promote Andre to fight like that too and not for nothing even though it's not exciting and it's it's the it's the killer instinct that I miss from Andre so much this is what how he needs to be fighting he doesn't need Mm. any more damage to his brain so you know I'm not really too upset with how he fights anymore but like like I said Mike if he was to retire I would wish him the best and not be too upset about it (laughs) Tago Santos versus Glover Teixeira um, I love the fact that Glover Teixeira like I said I'd li- I'd li- would have loved to have seen from Arlovsky but I love the fact that you know even after being rocked early he was still in the game he was still there he was happy to stand and trade he was happy I mean he was getting lit up we're talking like some serious I mean that symbolism that hammer symbolism on Santos uh, his chest kind of sums up the way that he fights he hits like a hammer and he's in there consistently trying to crack someone's skull having come back from that i would have to give glover ratings because again he made me shut my mouth i went into this thinking no glover is over the hill i don't think <laughs> he's going to be able to kind of like compete with this young pup yeah he's shown flashes of greatness uh, of late but whenever i think of glover i think of him and Gustafson, when Gustafson was just pinging his head off with uppercuts. Oh, like a video that's, game. Yeah. yeah, that's that's the Glover Teixeira that I've like, come to um, have in my mind's eye when I think of Glover Teixeira. But this... Not you, me. I, I can't, can't argue that, you know, the guy is still in there. The guy is still a live dog. The guy is still um, out to cause problems. What did you reckon? Well, I, I picked Santos to win, but... I kind of in the back of my mind was like Glover can win this because why Glover's been on a hell of a tear you know Mm. what was um 
was he on a five fight or six fight win streak five right fight. now? And yeah, yeah, and I mean he had like well, going some into good this, it was five fight. I think it's six right. And so now this. it's six exactly. So mm. he went into this on a five fight. Now beating Tiago, he's on a six fight UFC win streak. And listen, he took out Ian Kutalaba, Nikita Krylov, which is you know pretty impressive. Anthony Smith. These are these are really good fighters to beat. He's yeah. beating Misha um, Sirikanov. Um, I just think this is, he reminds me of when, remember when Robbie Lawler out of nowhere got old, but then he decided to have some type of weird resurgence and became a title holder. And you know what I'm saying? Like, yes, this could be happening here, man. Like, and I remember thinking that I'm like, Glover's on some next shit. He might be old, but I think he's using the fact that he's older to win. It just looks like, for instance, in this fight, every time there was a scramble, I mean, he was quick with it. He would find a way to get to his bag. Whenever Santos overwhelmed him with punches and dropped him, he was like, let me think, take him down. Like, he's smart enough to be like, I'm in danger. Let me make the best decisions for this spot right now. And mm-hmm. that's what you see him do when he gets dropped. He, take, he takes the person to the ground, which is what you should do when you're overwhelmed by strikes. He just fights really well and really smart. And he's so well-rounded and hits hard that he's dangerous anywhere on the ground or standing and at any moment. And man, I, I I wasn't expecting this, but I'm I don't know, I'm kinda not surprised and and I wonder too, I remember you and Carrie was just talking about this last week. I wonder if the double knee surgery has that affected him or whatnot yeah. or yeah, Kyra was ring saying. rust. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and meanwhile, Glover has no ring rust. He's not recovering from any surgeries, and he's got the momentum of a five-fight win streak yeah. going into a t- fighting Tiago Santos. And this is a man that is um, hes on his title run. Whether we're paying attention to him or not, he says it all the time. He's going for the title. That is a, that is a very serious and dedicated mindset, especially for someone who's older and knows that this is their last shot at it. Yeah, yeah. It's a dangerous motherfucker, Mike. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> 100%. Yeah, so it's like... I. I remember when I was picking, I picked Tiago because of the brute strength, his speed and striking. But I remember in the back of my mind, I swear to God, I was like, yo, he can beat, Glover can beat him. And he did. So how do you think, let's just say he gets a title shot. How does he, how does he line up with, with Jan? You see, I don't think he does. Um, it's all very well, uh, us talking about him. When you think about it, beating a uh, used to be middleweight. Now, I'm not taking anything away from Tiago Santos, but I think, you know, Santos is a different kettle of fish to Jan Blakovich. I mean, to be honest with you, you can't compare the two. You really can't. Yeah. So I think yeah. he gets smoked, and I think he gets <laughs> smoked early. But to be honest with you, I want to see Ziad Asanya in there before I see Glover Teixeira. I mean, don't get me wrong, he's deserving but yeah. I wanna. I like those. You know me. I love yeah. those um, novelty fights. So that's where I want to see. Uh, well, that's what I want to see happening first. How about you? What do you What do you think? Um, I can go either way. I, I I like Glover's old man resurgence. I'm like following it closely. So mm. It's reminding me of Robbie Lawler's, and I, I was with it. So I'm kind of jumping on his bandwagon here. And I could watch him fight Jan or. If Jan wants to fight Izzy, I'm down for either one, you know. Like, I think yeah. we have options with this division. So, and I think Glover can put up a good fight with Jan. I think he has, I don't know, I think we need to start paying more attention to him. This man is good, and his mm. old ass is just using his, 
he's using his oldness to his benefit like he's just fighting really smart he makes less mistakes and then when he gets dropped he makes the proper adjustments and gets to scrambling and and gets a choke i mean who saw this coming you know (laughs) exactly exactly you know just before we go instead of the usual listener questions i'm going to ask you um in an ask me anything fashion i'm gonna ask you a question and i'm gonna ask well obviously obviously open it up to you to ask me anything but my first ask me anything for you this week is i saw something which made me think of you and that was it was a uniformed security guard and the property that he was protecting and this was caught on video he was throwing hands with somebody who was obviously trying to violate but he was throwing them hands like, you know, he was inside an arena. He was inside a dojo. He was, <laughs> seriously, it looked really impressive. But it made me think, you know, in terms of like um, just th- throwing back and um, going back to your police training, were there or was there ever a time that you had to literally throw hands with people or with a person or individual in that kind of style where it looked as though, you know, you were literally just mimicking or just, drawing on your training from um you know inside your your, your muay thai camp or your muay thai gym (laughs) um yeah i mean i've definitely been in quite a few fistfights as a police officer but what i find is that when my adrenaline is up and i'm fighting i resort to what i know and a lot of times because i you know haven't been training that long or i'm you know (laughs) i'm new to fighting i resort to bad (laughs) you know like bad muscle memory tactics you know (laughs) chin up going forward or just you know like stuff like that but um yeah but are you literally see talk talk me through this is this is uh, where i'm really heading and uh maybe i should been been more up front in the question talk me through that story where you had to throw hands oh man there's um there's i have so many wow (laughs) (laughs) i live for these podcast moments you know this I have so many, yes. Uh, one of the craziest situations I ever had was we did a buy bus, which means we send an undercover officer and he buys drugs. And when you're on the arrest team, me, yeah. you, you move in on the person that he sold drugs to. And oh, okay. Pers- when we got the move in signal from the undercover, we moved in on the guy. The guy took off running like a sprinter. He actually ran into someone's house. Wow. On the, yeah, he knocked on the door, punched the person in the face, walked in the house and kept them captive while he tried to hide. Hostage? From, yes, he actually like punched um, the grandfather in the face. Wow. Then he made the grandfather and the grandchild go upstairs to a bedroom, lock themselves in a room, and he hid there with them and whatnot. But the girl managed to signal to us while we were in the backyard looking for him. But I was in the front of the house. So the sergeant turned to me and Sarah, my coworker at the time, and said, ladies, you guys got the front. We're going in the house to look for him. So me and Sarah was getting married at the time. So me and her were talking about the colors that she would pick for her wedding. And finally on the radio, someone screams, he's coming out through the front. And as soon so as whoa, he whoa, said whoa, that- So whoa, 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 pause, pause, pause. In this <laughs> scenario, are the guns drawn? Are you sitting there like in the movies no, with like no. the guns cut? No, 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 no. I'm just out front. I'm I'm out front talking to Sarah about picking yellow for her her dress. Like we, (laughs) because it's like when you're a cop, you're so desensitized. Like this is not the first time we've had to look for somebody. This is not the first time someone has run away from us. This is just something that happens every day. And we're not a met. And we're not thinking what happened next is going to happen. So what happened next is was. 
um, the guy that they were looking for, my coworkers went through the back of the house to look for him. So what they did was chase him out the front where me and Sarah was, mm. and we were not expecting him. So this black guy opens the door, comes charging at us. Me and Sarah look at each other like, holy shit, is this really happening? And then we have no time to think. So Sarah tries to tackle him, but she's a very small frame woman. So he kept running with her attached to his hip. Wow. And then, <laughs> Right. And that's when... When your adrenaline is going, everything slows down for me. So that's when I was able to be like, oh, my God, they're going towards the steps and they're going to fall over. So mm -hmm. I jumped on his back and I turned my body and brought all three of them to the side and we fell over the side of the house. And then all three of us fell on the side of the house. And then when we opened our eyes and got up, me and Sarah made eye contact with each other. And that's when we started fighting homeboy. Like it was like a wow. for our life. And all we had to do was fight him until the boys came out the house. You know, like the guys that were chasing him in the first place. Once yeah. they made their way out the front door and met us, oh, it was on. But um, I had so no time to. Fight? So, yeah. so is it jumping? When you say fight, were you literally throwing hands or were you trying to yes. wrestle him to the ground? No, I was punching him. With, I, I, I actually told Sarah because like when we fell over to the side, um, we didn't know how we landed. So you do one of those when you check your body. and All three of us, the suspect, me and Sarah, were like, what the fuck just happened? Oh, we wow. Because I had jumped on his back and turned him to the side, we fell in a direction nobody was headed in. So it was confusing when I pulled the two of them to the side of the house and fell off the porch. <laughs> so once we got our wherewithal, including the criminal, the criminal was like, oh, shit, I'm about to get up and run. I'm safe. Mm. And me and Sarah were like, oh, hell no. And I said to Sarah, punch him. And then that's it. Like, we just started dropping the hardest blows ever on this dude. Completely justified. No police brutality. He started yeah. to fight us back. And I just, I had no time to take out my spray or ass, and we just had to wail on him. And all we did was hold him until bigger men, like the guys, came out the front of the house and were mm. able to handcuff him. But it was probably one of my most exciting and craziest stories ever. And our wow. lieutenant was, yeah, because it was two women in the front. You know, we weren't expecting this. Our lieutenant was laughing so hard when he found out. He was like, it was the girls that stopped him, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and then it was so funny, Mike. We were talking about wedding colors for the dress, yeah. for the for the bridal party. When it was like, Jada, he's coming right towards you. And we were like, what? And then, boom, here he comes. It was, it was, but like, like you said, Mike, and like we talked about in the last episode of Shots Fired, it's really hard to remember your training when you have all that adrenaline and you just like, you're in the middle of eating a sandwich or talking about a bridal party and now in a blink of an eye, <laughs> in a blink of an eye, you're fighting for your life or someone is fighting you to get away, which means they're just trying, they'll do anything to get away, which is dangerous. Wow. So, yeah, it was fun though, man. Like I, I'll never give up the experiences I had. It sounds incredible. That is a hell of a story. And that's Man. one of many. Like, I have so many wild stories that I don't tell them because I, people don't believe me. But I'm like, you I must dine out on that a lot, though. I don't care because I know what I did. I don't, I'm not a type of person to brag. I know who I am. And yeah. I know what I did for six and a half years, which was I was not in uniform. I was running after people and doing search warrants. I had a different type of career. So I don't need, feel the need to brag. But when I do talk about it sometimes, you can tell people, like, she's lying. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. You got an AMA for me? Or are we uh, about to wrap up this? I Go do. For it. Have you ever had any run-ins with the UK police as a black man? And if so, what was your experience? Loads of times. Um, oh, boy. What you up to? Di di <laughs> di different scenarios. Basically... 
Um, I used to live in North London. Now, the police, Met Police in particular, and as a young black man with a car, uh, they oh, basically want to see what you have inside your car. So I used to get pulled over quite a lot in terms of um, I'd just be driving around, sometimes maybe driving a little bit too fast, but they'd be pulling me over for the silliest excuses. And it would always start off with the same question. Um, excuse me, sir, do you know why we pulled you over? And sometimes I used to kind of like give them attitude and it was a recurring theme. So yes, um, I've had quite a lot of runnings with the UK police. Um, typically, as I say, stop and search because I'm either driving too fast, admittedly, or just driving for no yeah. apparent reason and being pulled over and asked and the and most inane profiled. question. Yeah. Yes, and they're very keen to ask you where you're going, um, can we uh, can we um, talk to you about uh, the fact that you fit the description? This is a this is a one that used to come up quite a lot. You fit the description of um, a, a gentleman who committed a crime in this area. There's a lot of crime in this area, and um, we just want to make sure that you aren't this particular individual. We used to get a lot of that, but um, in terms of like running with the police on another angle, I literally um, was walking to work one day and this group of people I'm sure I must have told you this before but I'm going to tell it again because this is another angle of like interaction with the police you said have I had any run-ins with the police mm -hmm, this is another mm -hmm. run-in of sorts I had of them anyway so I'm walking to work and there's a group of people and they're screaming and shouting at this guy who kind of like whizzes by me right. so me being my nosy ass self I start to run after them running after him because I want to know what's going on. Not that I wanted to get involved, I just want to see what's going on. And anyway, eventually they catch up to him and they try to collar him and I can hear all this hollering and screaming, give us our money back, give us our money back. Anyway, so I wade in now and I say, look, if you've got their money, I don't even know what's going on, but I'm right. waiting in anyway. If you've got their money, you need to give them their money back. Now, the people who were running after him were a group of Chinese tourists. And what it transpired had happened as I was, you know, talking to this guy. They told me that he had pretended that he was an undercover police officer and he was checking for counterfeit notes. So he had asked him about um, whether he could have a look at their wallet and um, not their wallet the contents of their wallet just to check that they hadn't got any counterfeit notes anyway <laughs> had then made off with their money hence the reason why I now come into this um, seeing them chasing him and that's where the kind of story gets a little bit more heated because he'd obviously got their money they were trying to get it back so now that I'm fully appraised of the story I'm like look you can either get down on the floor voluntarily or I can put you down. So this mm. chap, a little bit bigger than me, I felt a bit proud of this, um, was resisting. He was like trying to pull away from me. So collar gripped him and just swept him um, to the floor and just sat on him. Now, in between all this time, um, they had called the police and the police wow. took about, it, might, it seemed like ages, it seemed like about half an hour until the police actually turned up. So I was sitting on him all A this time, restraining him. Yeah, it, 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 it seemed that long. I don't know how oh, long it seemed God. or how long it was in, in actuality, but it mm. seemed like it was half an hour. Anyway, so the police come now and I'm sitting on this guy 
And I see that, you know, this, this officer's walking over, the car's pulled up and everything. One officer has jumped out and um, I've got off him and helped him up to his feet, the guy that I was sat, sat on mm-hmm. and kind of like moved away from him. And, you know, the cop just took him into the car, didn't say a word to me. And I'm like, I'm standing there kind of like really befuddled and baffled. Like I wasn't expecting any conversation, but at least, you know, cheers, fella. Well done. Nothing. No, there should that, be a conversation. <laughs> like, that, that was my interaction or another interaction with the police like, from a different angle. It sounds like those police took him around the corner and let him out because if Do you they think were so? Going, yeah, I mean, I I'm trying to think like an American police officer, so maybe things are different in the UK. But I'm putting myself in that police officer's shoes, and if I showed up to the scene and a mm. citizen has somebody detained, which is what you did until police showed up, I yeah. have to take down your name. You know, like this Nothing. is a part of the transaction. This is if I arrest him, I have to say, "Hey, Michael Morgan, <laughs> a citizen." You know, on the paperwork, I have to identify you as the person that you. You know, like you're a part of my probable cause. You're a part of the reason why I've arrested this person. So, when cops kind of skip that part and just be like, "All right, thanks," and throw someone in a car, a yeah. lot of times they are driving around the corner to let that person go and be like, "Wow, out of here." <laughs> yeah, because it, it's funny you should say that because we all watched. And, you know, I stood there on on purpose just to give him the benefit of the doubt if he did want to take my details. I wasn't volunteering them. But if he'd asked me, I would have said, of course, here's my details. Um, This, from my vantage point, is what happened. You know, giving some kind of statement, nothing. Got in his car, drove off. It was the tourist, the Chinese tourist, who actually took my details and said, you know what, we we obviously um, appreciate you getting involved, but it would be really helpful to us if we could take your details. So if anything does actually come of it or come from this and we've got someone to contact, it's been 18 months since that happened. Nothing, no contact. Yeah, that... Um, Not a word. That's a, it, That sounds familiar to me. Like all the stuff you see wow. on TV as far as the brutality, I never dealt with that as an official, which means as a police supervisor. And also when I was a cop, I never, my coworkers never shot someone six times in the back. We never mm-hmm. shot people when they ran away. We didn't move tasers. We didn't frame people. But what I did notice is that a lot of police officers don't do their jobs or like they're pretty lazy. So that's why your scenario sounds very familiar with me. I used to supervise people that would do that and I would catch them and I'd have to write them up or I'd have to sit them down and talk to them like you get paid you have to do your job like you can't wow. just park in an alley or you can't just pick up <laughs> you can't pick up a homeless person put him in your car then drop him off two blocks away like a report has to be done da 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 so that's why I think I was that quickly to identify what exactly transpired with your situation that is what I'm used to but I'm not used to you know someone being choked to death because their knee was on their neck in your show but you know like that's not something that i grew up with on my police department not Mm. with my peers and not when i when i was supervising everything i saw was legit but oh they lazy though i'm telling you that cop sounds like he put that man (laughs) in his car and drove two blocks and was like get the fuck out of here and i don't want to hear shit for the rest of the day (laughs) that's what happened (laughs) Jesus. Yeah, because police work does generate a lot of paperwork. And if you're lazy, you'd rather sit in the alley or drive around or go get a sandwich than be in the office for three hours now typing yeah. something as trivial as a guy trying to commit fraud. With, you know, so they're lazy, Jesus. Mike. But you did the right thing, though. Like, just be careful, though, when you jump in 
you know, be sure to call 911 first and let them know you're jumping in. Or I advise people not to put their hands on nobody. Your best weapon is to call 911. Like, don't get involved. That's me. You're right, because my missus, you know, said to me afterwards, um, I was I rang her and I, I was telling her about, you know, what happened. She was like, mm-hmm. damn, but, you know, he could have stabbed you. Yeah. I hadn't even thought of that at the time. I just yeah. thought, take this guy down, incapacitate him, because he's, got, he, he's, he's basically committing a crime. Yeah, I try. I, I, I don't want to discourage. When, like when I hear stories like this, I don't want to discourage people. But I do throw in, hey, next time just use your cell phone. You know, like yeah. I'll give you a compliment for the bravado and for you handling the situation and for using your martial arts training because that's what got you to sweep him and whatnot. Mm. But you just basically got lucky that he didn't stab you. No, you're somebody, right. Or somebody that trained more than you and can you know defend that block and now. He's killing you. Yeah, he's in mount and pounding me. These things happen. So like you, Mike, and also the listeners, if you see domestic violence, if you see a crime, your best weapon is to call the police with all the details, what that person looks like, and that's it, and wait around to talk to them. Do not intervene, because you might die. (laughs) So (laughs) you got kids, Mike, and shit. I know you have martial arts training. You probably thought the guy was a gump. You can take him, but next time you call the you you just call the police and wait for them to show up and just point like that's the person I called on. I do it now. I call the police on people quick. I put police okay. to work. <laughs> pretty pretty sound words, I have to say. And speaking of sound words, that about wraps up this episode of the Wocast. We'll be back with more sound words on our midweek edition of Shots Fired. Until then, make some trouble. Oh, it's fine.